Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs uh, podcast. And today I'm joined with by Robin, the owner of Mindtaker Miniatures. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, Robin, I brought you on because um, you are the owner operator of a wargaming store out there. And we've never actually followed some, we've never interviewed a store owner. We've only done like game designers and players and everything out there. So I'm hoping that you can enlighten us to some of the uh, trials and tribulations of the uh, small American miniature wargaming store owner, uh, a rare breed throughout the yes. country there. <laughs> but um, why don't you start by telling us like, what was your first introduction to wargaming? Wargaming. Well, God. let's just say miniature wargaming. I, some people have that trajectory of, like for me, it was role-playing games. For other people, it's board games and then they cross over. Others are just hardcore. That's the first thing they introduced with gaming. So where did well, it start with you? I started with um, RPGs and card games and was a just giant nerd my whole life. And I think I found D&D while I was in middle school and where I lived, for some reason, there weren't a lot of game stores. So everything we had access to was via a bookstore or a similar, like a record shop. Remember those? Yeah. And <laughs> when they were regular and not just cool, trendy hit places. So yeah, I remember Tower yeah. Records and all that. So um, it wasn't until I was actually in college that I even saw a miniature or a war game. And they just kind of blew my mind. The moment I first laid eyes on a miniature, I was like, those are amazing. And a friend said, hey, do you want to paint one? And I was like, yeah. So I sat down and painted a mini and just didn't stop. <laughs> So when you were playing D&D, &D, and I'm going to assume this is second edition. Um, gosh. Or do you hearken back yeah. to the old box games? <laughs> well, my actual first encounter with D&D, &D, my parents had that red box. See? Like, oh, wow. Yeah. In a drawer somewhere. And I remember finding it as a very young kid. So I was... That was, I guess, my first introduction, even if I had no idea what I was looking at or what you did with it or any of that. So when you were playing role-playing games, you didn't have, you didn't use the miniatures. Cause I know like oh. most people like Stranger Things, yeah. they're all using miniatures when they're playing. It's like, well, mostly D&D was like a, the theater of the mind. Yeah. You, yeah. The person just explained it to you. Miniatures were actually kind of rare and like, for me as a kid, they were expensive to buy like the Ralph Partha D&D miniatures. It's like, I don't know if I can afford that eight bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so your introduction was through RPGs and in college you actually saw uh, the miniatures. What was the first miniature line that you um, saw there? Um, well, Warhammer Fantasy uh, was the first thing I saw and painted and I've actually got, I still have my first piece. It was a um, Lord of Change, my fun <laughs> bird looking thing. It was great. And yeah, I think from there, um, the friends I had at the time were very much into Gorka Morka right oh, then. Okay. <laughs> so that was my weird segue from fantasy to Gorka Morka to 40K and just like, the whole world of that. So I was wondering, um, how many different war games did you end up playing? Because I know for some, especially in the US, it normally, a lot of people are one and done. And this channel, we specialize to people that play three or more games. So like, you know, they're like potato chips, you just can't have one. Um, so when you thought about war gaming, were you like a one at a time? Like, okay, I'm going to do Warhammer Fantasy. Now I'm going to do Gorka Morka. Or did you say, you know what, as many games as I can handle or fit into my dorm room, that's what I'm going to go with. Oh, total 
gamer ADD, um, whatever looked cool at the time and whatever miniatures I could get my hands on. I've always been more into the hobby aspect. Uh, the game is always kind of secondary for me. It's like, oh, you could do something else with these minis other than paint them. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so just whatever we wanted to play at the time. I liked trying out new systems and new games and as many as I can get my hands on. I think from Warhammer, gosh, what was the next uh, minis? There's a lot of Mantic that um, we had around. And well, at this point, I, gosh, there's so many, just so many different minis to choose from in different <laughs> categories. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So on the hobby side, um, I don't know, did you have a store that most of your gaming revolved around or was it based on like a club at the college? Um, well, this was after school. We had a bunch of friends and was living in Manchester, New Hampshire at the time. And the local store that we hung out where there were two, there was, I believe it was called the Wizard's Tower, but I mean, fairly common name. And then there was Daka Daka which had a <laughs> which had a storefront in Manchester, New Hampshire, which was an amazing space. It was this converted um, warehouse, like factory riverfront building and had to be like 10,000 square feet of tables and like a corner with product in it. That's very unusual for it was. a retail it was. store. I think the biggest I've seen, what, Games Workshop used to have the Battle Bunker up in uh, Glen Burnie outside Baltimore. They had like 25 tables, but I've never seen like an actual warehouse that that it violates was... the normal rules of American retail of like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was weird. We often wondered like, how does this work as a business model? I, I've always been intrigued by game stores as a business and how it works and how you people marry that clubhouse and business together successfully. Um, just very interesting to me. And we've had other guests on who've talked about the diff. We had one guest on, um, Carl, he's played both in the US and the UK. So the club focus of the UK versus the store focus of the US and the need for the store owner to turn over product a certain amount of products got to be turned over every month so you can make make your nut on like because you've got square footage to pay for um that's why i i came out here from the dc area and i think it took decades before we actually got a store inside the beltway all the other stores were outside the beltway where you know you weren't competing with law firms for like square footage and they could pay more than like a store owner could um so that brings us to the question, like at one point, did you say, you know, this, forget what I studied in college, unless it was a business degree, I'm going to start selling miniatures. I'm going to turn my habit into an actual like money-making venture. What, what brought you into that? Well, did it start off slowly? Like you were trading on eBay? Cause yeah, I, I'm very not, okay. much. Um, it was a, feeding our own habit like oh you know I can't afford to buy the new hotness all the time and but I have all this stuff that I'm not totally using so let me maybe sell a piece here or there so I can buy the piece I want and it, that becomes its own fun little addiction uh, <laughs> of, I've done that of, <laughs> of moving things and it just became we were good at it and you know took the time to build in systems and engines and spreadsheets being their own sort of fun board game we like to play um <laughs> we just kept building and building and we like helping out the community and offering those products at the discounted prices that we do I very much enjoy creating accessibility to the hobby because that's 
where our need came from was just being able to get the games that we wanted to play affordably. Well, so let me ask you, you, instead of opening up a retail space, you decided initially, when, when did your company open? Um, our, we've been trading online since about 2000 and no, no, um, 12. I want to say we, our first website in its horrible, horrible 80s, like list format, we had since about, I want to say 2015. And then um, our shiny, pretty um, engine that we ha currently have now, we launched in 2018. So, well, what, what made yeah. you go the online route versus, um, I think when most people think about setting up a store, like they find some place near a grocery store, like the tiny little uh, strip mall and say, okay, I'm going to put a store here. Why did you go the online route versus the physical space route? Basic, uh, low overhead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Without, um, needing to rent a space or pay for that, we were allowed to build our business out of our home and build up customer bases and spend time on our, internal systems and building out um, the engines that we use now and process everything because when shipping online, there was no need for physical space. We can do that from anywhere. So we really just built our customer base, saved money and sat and waited <laughs> until we could launch into that physical space. Well, since you were going online and you didn't have physical space, I've noticed a lot of distributors or manufacturers, they actually want like a store address. Like they want proof you have a retail space. So when you came to them back then and said, look, I'm an online store. I want to sell your product. Um, did that affect like who you carried? Um, because I'm, there's preferential lines out there that carry. There's lines that models that always sell, that always make money, but they might say, you know what, we don't need you to sell online. What was that struggle when you actually went to like, well, how did you pick the miniature lines and how did the companies react to you when you approach them? Well, see, here's the fun part. We don't deal with any distributors or companies. We are purely a previously owned store. Oh, okay. All of our um, inventory is sourced from the local community. Um, some from stores as well, um, but we don't have any retail contracts that we are a beholden to or needed a space to enter into business. Okay, when I went to your website, I saw you had, you, you were a buyer, and I've seen companies do buy and sell. Even yeah. my local physical space, they just do that face-to-face, -face. but I thought you did both. That's why, okay. That's interesting. Um, we are actually moving into net right now that we have a physical space, getting uh, distributors in line and refining the focus of our store. Okay. So, okay. All right. So I, that this just blows my mind there. So like you were actually serving as like um, the market maker between people who wanted to liquidate their properties yeah. and people who wanted to pick them up there. Yeah. Okay. So that, that brings in the question that when you deal in those secondary markets, there's certain stuff, there's like trends and there's like certain stuff is the hotness at that point. Absolutely. Like tactical space Marines always sell. Someone mm -hmm. can drop them off. You have a pretty fixed price, but there's other stuff that's more niche. Um, and you've got a limited amount of capital reserves in which to build your inventory and try to flip it around. Was that scary? Like, how do you, how do you build that clientele of people who are going to feed you, um, your product and then also encourage people to buy a uh, second hand. Well, this is where um, having those strong community building and being part of our local game groups for so long and participating in events and just working with all of the people around us. And, you know, friends need to move a lot of minis and we help them out. It's basically how it started where somebody's like, oh, hey, I don't have the time. Can you list this for me? Sure. And, you know, 
snowballs one into another. We like to think we do an amazing job. So word of mouth spreads and we just built it on customer service and our reputation. It got us where we are now. Okay. Um, so I imagine that you had, uh, you had a day job. And at a certain point, you were running this company at the same time as you had a day job. At what point do you say, you know what? Go to your boss and like, screw you. I don't need you anymore. I, I have my own successful company. Is there a certain point where you make that decision of like, it's time to cut ties to the regular world and go off on a new venture? Well, um, I was fortunate in being a stay-at-home mom for the last 12 years. So basically, I would work from home while taking care of the kids. And they, and they when they got a little older and school gave me more free time, we started building more and more. And now I am transitioning from a stay-at-home mom to a working parent, which is an interesting <laughs> thing. <laughs> All right. Now, but you had a successful online business. Why disrupt that and go into a physical space? Like if, so, if someone's out there, because um, I've traded a little bit on eBay, mainly just to feed the user habit there. Um, Brian, who's found your store, he deals a lot more heavily. So he's that guy, he'll deal in like thousands of dollars transactions of like liquidating someone's old, uh, epic army like I'll take everything yeah. you got like one bulk rate what makes you sit there and say you know what it's time to transition outside of the home into like fully engaged in the community was there a gap in your local area of like there wasn't a game store already feeding them um, supporting the community what what trips you over to move from online to in the real world uh, it was purely space issue. We could no longer house the inventory in our house. Uh, it was blowing out of the office in our garage. We just we were at our capacity for space, and so our decision was buy a new house or get a retail space. So we and this was in December of uh, last year that we decided to make that jump and rent some space. So as you were filling up, was it actually hurting your business, not having an organized space dedicated to it? Like, was there a certain point of where you said like, my wife already says like, why do I look everywhere in the house and there's miniatures somewhere? <laughs> it does become an inventory management issue at some point. Was that, was that a real driver to say, look, this business is growing so much. I just can't handle it unless we have, you know, dedicated inventory racks to like really make this thing what it could be. Yes. Well, we did need that space. Uh, like one of my superpowers is organization. <laughs> so if you see the room behind me with, shelves and stuff. Imagine these filled in, with um, card boxes. We use five row card boxes of just miniatures, <laughs> bags and bags and bags of miniatures with labels and grid markings and floor to ceiling. And the one thing uh, where we found a little bit of a stumble is when we got our physical space, um, it did lend some validity. It's hard often uh, establishing trust with customers online when they don't know you from anyone and you're saying, yeah, ship me $3,000 worth of minis and we'll uh, pay you when we get it, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that because normally we've done it, I've always met face-to-face. -face. It's like, okay, there's your box. It's like the drug dealer. I'll, I'll slide you the briefcase of money. You slide me that box of product. Okay. So that, that actually relies on a, a great amount of trust. So like eBay yes. manages that. eBay is, like, eBay is like the trusted broker in the situation, right? They control both parties out there. So you were dealing outside of that trusted broker relationship, relying on your own uh, bona fides with the community. Yeah. Um, so was there a time of like, you realized that you made it that people knew who you were and that they could trust you versus like, you know, being a sketchy, you know, back alley dealer. 
Well, um, as we grew, uh, more people would seek us out and say, oh, hey, I heard about you from a friend. Um, we'd, we've been operating on Facebook for a few years. And so people would leave reviews and word would spread like that. Um, mainly just, yeah, it, but it's, we always recognize it's a massive leap of faith on our clients' behalf to trust us. And I mean, I don't think we've ever had a reason not to, but having a store in a physical location where, no, I'm not running anywhere. You can come and find me. Um, definitely helped that. Well, let me ask you, when you were starting out, was there ever a time when you were buying something? And I guess you know, since you're working at a distance, let me put it this way. What was your biggest regret? Did you ever have like a big regret buy out there? Oh, gosh. Where someone <laughs> sold you a lot and you got it. And it's like, this was a horrible mistake. Well, there's some that we have questioned, some that have been heavily discounted. Um, one of the fun things that you get to see being an online retailer is the differences um, and the regionality of what people like at the time. So if our local community isn't buying something like War Machine is a great example here. Yes. <laughs> War Machine in the Portland metro area is not the hottest. It's picking up though, I will say. But for a while, War Machine can't move it to save your life. But we'd find pockets where people are just crazy about it still. And we'd be able to get into those markets and buy and sell from them. And through that and taking those chances on War Machine, we've been able to slowly actually increase the pricing on it and found a good customer base. There, there are definitely lots that we regret from a work standpoint of um, appraisal where we get like blind tubs of lead. <laughs> Just like giant piles of lead minis and it it it's a grind going through and appraising and IDing every single one of those little things but it's it's fun too that you know it's it's fun as the hobby aspect but if you think yeah. about from a business side of like value per man hour put mm -hmm. in there um i imagine there's probably some some hours that were less valuable than others um, absolutely <laughs> Uh, I've when I've seen collections there's always might be that like that prized piece like you look at like someone pours the minis onto the table takes their hand because they don't care anymore and they brush them aside in the upper right corner you say ah there's a model from 1988 that's impossible to find the rest of this is garbage but I want that one but when you buy that lot okay what am I going to do with this garbage now um how did how did you handle that um issue like um processing like that one prime piece of like that's the money maker now what what are you going to do with the rest of this how how do you deal with that as a business um we use a lot of our own gaming experience to take a look at what we have and think what would somebody want out of this like say we get like big old pile of lead big like mystery rel part of fun and <laughs> While there are nuggets in there, you get to a point where it's like, okay, everything's pretty much the same. We'll break it down into like, okay, let's make little D&D adventure packs. Here's a bunch of bad guys. Interesting. Okay. And, um, you know, like, here's a hero pack. And sometimes we do mystery bags. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then sometimes often in store, we'll have just like, price per mini and people can select what they want. So we find well, that, creative solutions. So I like that idea of repackaging them. Um, that makes me think of more the D&D &D crowd of like, yeah. if you if you have some of the old Ralph Partha ones from like when I started in like the eighties on the 25 millimeter scale. Um, so when you look at your business, do you see it more as like, I'm supporting miniature wargaming like Infinity uh, Warhammer, War Machine, or do you say I'm serving people who want to play with little tiny toys? Um, so that adds like the D and the D and D role players into the uh, miniature war gamers. 
it's a bit of both because we do carry like if it's got a miniature we have it probably in the okay. store it's some capacity from battle tech and war machine and infinity and historicals and pretty much every flavor of mini that there is um we i like to think of it as you know just miniatures as a whole and the hobby of that contained kind of outside of any game systems or structures because at the root all most of us people who like to play with miniatures we enjoy the same aspects regardless of what we're playing we enjoy those little guys maybe painting them converting them seeing them act out our fantasy game on the table now, I, I know for a lot of stores, what, gosh, there was a time period where like miniature wargaming wasn't really hot in the community. Um, and so a lot of stores relied on magic card sales and Friday night magic to like, that boosted their numbers. That gave them like the base of money they need and to keep going. But I remember when D&D fifth edition got big. So I travel around the country, you'd see the WizKids models like increasingly take up more and more of the blister wall space on the shops there. And there was one store in New York said like those people, cause he was a miniature war gamer. Those people come in and they drop $5, but they drop it super regularly because I guess the idea of making the same character that could be in the same, is an anathema. Like, well, that, that miniature is dead. It might as well be thrown in the garbage. I need a new miniature to go with that. Um, so how much of your business would you say is the role player versus uh, the miniature war gamer? Um, we definitely more, way more um, cater to the miniature war gamer. Uh, Games Workshop is always our number one product line, if you will. <laughs> um, and what we find... Uh, we get to learn a lot about our customers by what they order because we carry so much. You'll see one customer order five different systems in one thing, including RPGs, we carry RPG books as well, to historicals, there's some GW in there, and people are pretty varied. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, and this is more out of personal curiosity, when people send you a lot and imagine that these miniatures have probably been loved, is there ever a point when you look at like the craftsmanship or the paint job in the miniature and they described it as like expertly painted and you look at it and say, my God, what were you thinking when you put this together? Do you ever get judgmental about that? Like just to yourself secretly on the inside? I mean, it, it's my favorite hobby is judging other people's painting. <laughs> um, actually, I... I really enjoy looking at a painted model and kind of dissecting how it was painted, what they used to paint it. Um, I'll also get questions on that sort of stuff. So it's part of my job almost to understand how those things came to be and maybe why they look the way they do. Uh, an interesting thing I get to see is because we buy lots and people's whole collection, you get to see a person's um, evolution in the hobby Okay. from their oldest minis and what their paint job looked like there to some of their new stuff. And it's just really exciting to watch, see somebody else's progress kind of <laughs> laid out in front of you like that. So looking at like the hobby aspect, now that you've gone into a retail environment how long has your um, physical retail presence uh, been open and if I was in the Portland area where could I find your retail store um, we've been open in our Camas Washington location uh, since December and so we are at just eight months seven months I can yeah. um, <laughs> it was there was the first month where we were still moving in. And we are hoping actually to, um, we are looking into bigger spaces at this point because we, we like to grow at a fast pace. <laughs> we don't know how to go slow. <laughs> well, so since you've actually had some time to like um, work with like the local customers, 
have you actually seen where the hobby aspect is the deterrent? Because I've seen there's two types of war gamers. Buy the miniature first because it looks cool and put it together. You don't care whether you win games. And then there's the other side of like, I only want to play. The hobby is a wall between me and and playing. So it's like free color minimum or even just a field of gray, get them onto the table. So when a customer comes in your store, they've never done any miniature war gaming and you have to explain to them, well, now you buy your toy. Now you get to put your toy together. I mean, I can imagine like car dealerships, like, well, here's all the parts of the car that you'll need. A certain person might be attracted to that idea. How do you see the hobby aspect playing with like customers coming into the store? Well, um, another lovely thing about dealing with previously owned things is a customer can get a brand new in-box kit that they put together and do that, or they can get fully painted somebody else's fully assembled army. So if they are a gamer that's looking to game and not so much hobby, they can look to us to just get the like box to table version. And if they're looking to hobby, we have that side too, all the way down to um, a fun thing that we have in store is bits by the ounce, where we have a big old bin of bits and you can sort through, grab the individual little bits that you want and pay by the ounce. So we also have that customer that's so into converting, they'll spend an hour sifting through the bin. So that's like the Lego stores. They have those big tubs of Legos, like what is it, bricks? Something bricks like and minifigs. Bricks and minifigs, yes. I've been in there a couple of times. So you have like a giant table. You just like, when someone sends you a lot, you have some leftover sprues, you just pour them into the bin. And then like five people can sit around the bin and like pick through it. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting idea. So let me ask you, when you were setting up your retail space, um, do you have gaming in store? And how much of your space do you dedicate to gaming? Uh, we don't currently have gaming in store. We did open during COVID, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was not a priority. Um, and so, yeah, we, in uh, future iterations, uh, we are looking more towards a model where there's space available. I'd like to envision it more as a hobby space where, um, yes, you can come in and game, but primarily we'd be set up that you can come in and paint or come in and build some terrain or work on your models. Okay, because I know, I think a lot of stores work on the idea that, you know, Friday night, Saturday afternoon to Saturday night, um, someone's going to come in the store and they're going to see someone, you're going to see groups of people playing like uh, Bolt Action or Warhammer and say, I love those models. I'd like to play those games and I, I can see people are playing the game. Um, and that's what pulls them in is like, there's already existing community. Um, so it's interesting to see like, it's not having a gaming space hurt your business. Uh, we don't believe so. We like to partner a lot with our local game stores in the area that do have those spaces that customers can utilize as well as, um, our local wargaming club has a clubhouse that we refer people to and help build the community, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in our store to be built. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I've, I've noticed something like when I travel around is like a lot of game stores will tend to be majorly isolated. Like there's not another near games, game store nearby for like hours away. You go to like rural Virginia there might be a couple along the Shenandoah Valley, but I've actually noticed that the most successful ones are when they're close together, but each one does not specialize in what the other store specializes in. And what I found is that it's kind of like that Silicon Valley effect of where you start at one end of the highway and you stop at the first store. It's like, well, you don't have exactly what I'm looking for, but I want this and this. Well, go five miles down the road. Okay. And that guy says, well, go five miles down the road. And it's like, mm -hmm. where you're going to spend $100, you end up spending $200 because every little store. So do you actually find synergies working with the stores around you of like when you pick your products? So like, 
well, I know Bob's carrying that. So I'm not going to carry that, but I'll carry the stuff to paint Bob's stuff where he's not carrying that. How, how do you manage that? Um, well, because we don't have distribution and we are under contract with any of the manufacturers, we don't ever get pre-releases or that stuff. We love referring our customers to their local stores or the area nearby them to get their pre-releases. And a lot of our local stores don't have the capacity to um, process used merchandise, to appraise, to do all of that okay. fine detail work. So they, so they refer to, to you? Yeah. Oh, okay. They that... refer to it. It's a big oh. circle of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's the circle of life, like buy your new stuff here. And when they bring it back, say, go down, see Robin. She'll yep. liquidate that for you and come back yep. when you have the cash. Absolutely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I know for a lot of small businesses, um, the convention, um, how should I put it? The convention circuit is like a major part. And I know um, some of the conventions I've been to, there have been secondhand dealers. Is that something that you've been involved with? Like taking your whole collection, throwing it in the RV or the fifth wheel and like hitting different convention sites. Um, is that part of your business plan? Yes, it has been. We've, um, we do uh, our big local convention here, OFCC, which is run by Ordo Fanaticus. Um, and that's our major one every year. We also um, participate in area gamer swap meets. Uh, some of the local stores will do garage sale situations will participate. We've run um, similar community swap meets uh, at various locations. Um, that is one thing that we will be doing at our site because we have a large outdoor space that we can use. So bringing community together to that as well. Um, so my, my store does a swap meet and I, I have to admit, I think that's a vastly underappreciated side there because there's been plenty of times of where someone doesn't want to liquidate a collection, um, but at a swap meet, they'll trade for yep. it. Um, so do you act as the broker in those swap meets or do you just hold it on your venue? And I don't know. So the way my store does it, if you trade, they just provide a safe space for you to trade. But if cash is exchanged, their register is the point um, where all cash is moved back and forth. How do you manage um, swap meets where you do them? And how, how would you advise other store owners to integrate swap meets into their business plan? Because I, I really like to see this uh, swap meets in more places. Uh, personally, as um, coming from both places as an end user of swap meets and as an organizer and runner of them, it is not my preference to have transactions run through the store centralized. I, as an end user, I feel like it adds a middleman that doesn't necessarily always have your best interests in mind. Um, and it, it's challenging sometimes. Uh, I have found it's pretty successful when People can run their own transactions and run their own business and trades. When we um, when we host these events, we let everybody do their own thing. We are not there really to profit off it. We're just providing that venue to the community. Maybe at the end of the day, we'll go and see what you have left and take that off your hands. <laughs> <laughs> so when... At your physical space, do you sell hobby supplies? So when you see someone like come into a swap meet and they say, okay, I want to pick up that army, is part of your value-add proposition is like, well, hey, do you need some brushes and paint to go with that new stack of gray that you just picked up? It's like, are you looking more for like the knock-on effects of just getting someone into the hobby will bring value to the store as like a long-run play? Well, we do carry a limited amount of hobby supply. Again, whatever comes into us, because okay. when we buy collections, we we don't um, disparage. If you've got used paint that's viable, 
somebody else wants that pain. Um. <laughs> do, do you put do you put a warning on there? Say, hey, look, someone might have licked their brush and st stuck it in this pot. So think about that. I hadn't thought of that before. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna need to put warnings on now. Well, actually, I mean, we check and see if it's used. Like, I I usually won't resell something that is less than three quarters full. Okay. Um, but, and for brushes, of course, new brushes, uh, we don't really sell used brushes. We do have um, another fun thing we have on site is the free pile. Because okay. not everything that comes in actually has value <laughs> um, at large, but it may have value to somebody. So, you know, maybe you do want that used brush. I don't know. I'm not going to say you can't have it. <laughs> I I like that idea because I think I would probably just frequent your store regularly just to see what you brought into the free pile. So that would make it like a regular hand. That, oh, yeah, that's there's a really all sorts fascinating of idea. Like previous edition 40k data cards. <laughs> well, I I have to admit, um, out on Long Island, there's a store that they've been around forever. They do a big secondhand market. And I remember seeing a group of three people go in the store and say, Oh, wow, here's the starter set to Warhammer fourth edition. Why don't we buy this and go play fourth edition? Like, it's not a video game. It's like, like, oh man, the gaming server no longer active on this. It's something that's or, always durable. Um, and there's, there's always stuff in there that someone could find some value, even if just to like look through and read. We like to think there's there's a home for everything that comes into us. Just because somebody was done with it doesn't mean it's valueless or it doesn't need a new loving home. <laughs> Since uh, just listening to you talk about this, it seems like you're looking at your store as more of like a community space of where um, you're not competing with like the new, the new cars out there, but you're trying to create a... Uh, a community space for people to get together who love the game. Um, and as you go forward, you mentioned um, trying to be more of a hobby space and less of a game space. Um, so are you gonna be doing tutorial classes, like you teaching classes on how to paint or how to people to work with their minis or kit bash or um, that extra bit of love that most game stores don't actually do like, painting tutorials, like they'll hand you the paints, they'll sell you the brushes, but they, they might not always show you how to use those items. Oh yeah, no, I absolutely wanna have classes and have it be that space where again, no matter what game you play, this information is good for you and helps you build your hobby and it's good for everyone. I love explaining painting. I'll talk to anybody about painting and technique <laughs> for hours. <laughs> do you do you have a preferred um paint range out there or are you just whatever works i am a paint hoarder um, <laughs> i i i love paint i love i love the science and technology of paints and mediums and how all that works so i love trying the new hotness i have my standard old favorites um but yeah um, there are certain things where, like, anytime somebody mentions, like, metallics, I, I have to give a lecture on the Vallejo, like, metal metallics, because I love them so much. Are, are you talking about the ones that come with, like, you have to use alcohol, you can't use water? With? Yes. Uh, yes. I, I love the gold and the copper, but I don't know. When I look at them, it's like, okay. But I don't know, because that's like a different thought process of using the alcohol instead of the water. They can and be a little like, intimidating. Well, it's like in the store owners, like, so the store where I first saw him, the store owner's big into Vallejo. So he has like all the Vallejo primers. Um, he brought those in, but he always tests it out. So like there's one, he's like, he didn't use it. <laughs> and there's no one at the store who's used it. So for me, there's like that. Um, am I going to be the one who rolls the dice to experiment on like 25 bucks or do I take that 25 bucks and go to the things I know how to use and know works for me? Um, how, how do you, how do you see like 
being able to impart that knowledge, like to get the person that that sales trust in there when someone comes in and like, should I trust this? Um, it's a great question. <laughs> I, I guess what it's like when you go into that, um, we don't call them beatniks, uh, hipster record store. Mm -hmm. It was like, how do you impart that authenticity of like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I've used this and it works for me and I know it can work for you. That, that was a good speech right there. That'll work. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, it's mainly just talking and I find again, more questions um, rather than me imparting, like spewing out all of my knowledge, like really getting to an understanding of what is the knowledge um, of the person who's asking the question? Where are they coming from and what's their experience, which helps guide me and how I can help them best. Um, we do also, if they're interested in a particular model in the store or something, I'll grab something that's painted and we'll talk about how that particular model was painted. And we can begin to establish trust by just looking at something together and dissecting it. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let me ask you, where do you stand on contrast in Games Workshop's contrast line? Yeah, see, that's one of the ones where I, I'm glad I will, like, just buy anything. Because um, <laughs> so I'm like, contrast, cool, let me check those out. And I, I think they have a great place. They have a usage. Um, why I picked them up is I have um, my oldest son is 13. My youngest is nine. And they are nerdy too they love to paint and helping them um you know really contrast allows you to get results that look good like kind of immediately so it helps you build the confidence you need to keep going in paint is what i feel contrast is really great at so and it, it's got some fun technical uses <laughs> but i think when i first saw it and like so the paint jobs I could see newbies doing were better than what they could do with traditional paints. Yeah. But there seemed to be a limit. Like uh, there was a limited return, like, but it could only go so far. Like if you actually tried to pull, push on to a higher level standard, contrast couldn't get you there. I've seen contrast actually more valuable in the ways it wasn't intended to be used, like off-brand usage. So actually thin down as a glaze um, they make, and of course, Games Workshop canceled their glaze line. They put out their contrast lines. It's like, oh, okay, so these are just extra thick glazes. So, because <laughs> uh, I've, any game store I can go into, if you really want to start an hour long discussion, the first you start off with is like, just disagree with the owner about Army Painter versus Games Workshop Citadel paints there. So, I don't know where you fall on uh, that spectrum. <laughs> I I'm a all the paints sort of person, okay. um, <laughs> just like all the miniatures. Uh, if they all, everything has its own fun little purpose in some way or another. Even your cheap dollar store acrylics are great for some terrain stuff. Now that that is a controversial statement, though I have to agree with you. I have um, the dollar store paints with like the WizKids models. There are parents like um so my uh daughter has a friend and she wanted to like paint something and so it's like well here's the dollar paints and a five dollar miniature um and when you see that low cost investment up there the parents are far more interested in like hey we're on vacation we got to keep her distracted and we don't want to just put her in front of a tv Where's a near, they'll ask me like, where's a nearby game store where I can get some more WizKids models and just like, hey, here's a dollar of paint, $10 of the model. That'll keep you busy for five hours there. So I, I agree with you that, um, and even though people say it doesn't work for a standard that um, a, a beginner can put out, it, it works just fine out there. So um, <laughs> will it win Golden Demon Awards? Probably not, but most people, there's like, <laughs> most people aren't participating on that level anyway. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, um, 
one of the fun things we do at, um, when we're at tournaments or events, conventions, is we bring with us a whole like painting table. Um, well, four tables, whatever. Enough uh, stuff to outfit so anybody can come and sit down and paint. So whereas like if it's a four day event, you'll find your late comers to the event on Friday night, furiously trying to finish up little <laughs> details for Saturday's rounds. And then at the end of the weekend, we find when we people are inviting their families to come in for awards, we all of a sudden have tables full of kids and we just, you know, throw some bargain minis out there and keep everybody happy and entertained and introduced to the hobby. And it's really those are the moments I really, really enjoy um, when I'm working and not just hobbying is just seeing so many new people like just sitting around and painting together and talking and just those connections being made. Excellent. So as, as you move forward and you expanded your business, um, you've had to bring on employees. Um, is that a scary prospect? I mean, is there, when you look at the paperwork, so you look, you go read IRS book 16 on like uh, how to do payroll tax uh, yeah. contributions. Does that actually become a deterrent to you or does it sound scarier than what it really is? It totally sounds scarier than what it is. There's so much um, automation in those processes right now that you know, just some simple software walks you through everything. Um, it helps that I have a good friend who's an accountant who advises <laughs> me. <laughs> um, but we actually, um, it was scarier to leave the realm of a, you know, self-contained business and all of a sudden having to you know, care for other people, if that makes sense. And factor scheduling. Into, yeah. <laughs> scheduling and understanding that, you know, our business or how we do now impacts other people rather than just going, oh, we can suck up a bad month or whatever. Um, so that was scarier, I think, than paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have like a little sticker in your office. No bad, no bad months. <laughs> so one of the things I've noticed is, you know, once you get past that part, finding the right person to work in the store, because I have seen employees just destroy stores. Um, and there's a classic one of like a games workshop in my town is in a mall and I saw in three months, one new employee that they hired basically destroy that store. Um, no one wanted to be there anymore. So, and I think that's every, especially small businesses of where you can only hire a limited number of people. You can't hide a bad apple somewhere yeah. in the back office. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you go around picking out like the right person who has the feel for the game and actually not only that, but actually has that ability to um, work with the clientele, like has that good uh, outward customer face. Um, well, again, we're being involved in the community for a long time in our area. I mean, you know, pretty much 90% of the client pool that's going to apply to any game store job. Um, so we had, we lucked out in having uh people that we know and have been familiar with and even um, worked with um, on events and stuff uh, come to us when we uh, opened up for hiring. And we were lucky in making some great or having some great candidates uh, make that really easy for us. All right. Do you ever find that like they might be strong in one area, but not in another? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. We so have a lot of interesting job functions because we do, we, there's the appraisal side where we have to take unidentified things or pictures and appraise and give price quotes and all of that. And that's definitely one side of a brain. Then there is the other side where we 
photo and we have big full army shoots and we describe and like list them and that's maybe more on the creative side so that doesn't always all come together in one person (laughs) (laughs) and as a small business um where we did everything ourselves like every aspect of what we did it was between two people or one and a half and so figuring out where to separate some of these functions and turn it into a job for an employee is interesting there's not really a business model um, that is similar to ours because we are unconventional so <laughs> we, we do a lot of making our own way forward <laughs> Well, as we start to wrap this up, where did you get your company name? Mind Taker Miniatures. Um, um, what's that I based I on? A, I wish I had a better story for this, but um, we, a long time ago, we just had a Unix server that we hosted our own email <laughs> on and, <laughs> and we were gonna name it after the street we lived on but Green Street was already taken. You're familiar with Adult Swim at all. (laughs) And so somehow in that Adult Swim cartoon of the past uh, thing came up, we latched on to Men Talk the Mind Taker (laughs) from some silly cartoon. And we named our server that. So... Basically, we named our company Mind Taker because we already owned the domain name. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was easier than buying a new domain. <laughs> oh, man. So, if you want to get into the nitty and gritty of online dealing, um, man, security issues on a Unix server, uh, how do you manage that? Um. I have forgotten more Unix than like, um, I actually don't deal with that end of stuff anymore. Like, I mean, 20 years ago, I was a sysadmin and could dream in Unix and Sybase. And since then I've had to remember what each child likes for lunch. Um, <laughs> you, you get what I like. <laughs> All right. Um, so if anyone's uh, in the Portland area, how do we find you again? Like if I'm I'll, listening to this, I'm driving through. Uh, you're across the river in uh, Washington, in Camas, Washington. We're only about 20 minutes away from Portland. Uh, so it's not that bad to drive at all. We're just off the lovely Washougal River. So it's a good place. <laughs> and what, what's your, um, do you have a convention schedule worked out? So if you were to leave the area, what conventions are you planning to uh, hit up in the, in the near future here? Well, we are um, not bringing inventory, but just as a presence for community building and networking, we will be at LBO come January. Oh, really? Okay. And, oh, I've um, been meaning to make it there. I haven't yet. Yeah, me neither. This will be our <laughs> time. Time to go to LBO. <laughs> so that's going to be your big one coming up here is the LBO. Fingers yeah. crossed it'll happen. Yes. I mean, we've had to postpone too. Or yes, we're, we're looking forward to OFCC 2022, um, where hopefully I'll bring some new fun events. And yeah. <laughs> Okay. Now, is there anything else I've forgotten to ask you or any like war stories you want to share that weren't covered? This, this is the uh, open potpourri round of uh, oh, the show. Uh, <laughs> we get the most interesting things. Like every box is its own fun little story. Um, probably that's what I love about my job the most is, you know how fun it is to get a new box of minis and open that up? I get to do that every day and it's always a mystery what's coming in. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what was the weirdest thing you ever got? Like you got on there and said, I was not expecting this. Gosh. Um, 
Well, we we're currently working through like a storage unit of historicals that historicals forgot about. <laughs> um, so that, that's definitely one that is stretching our appraisal capacities, but a learning experience. <laughs> And get into old 10 millimeter, 15 millimeter Napoleonics, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. That's not an easy yeah. area to delve into. Thank yes. uh, <laughs> God for Stuff of Legends. That website <laughs> could not run my business without it. <laughs> That's one I haven't heard of. So Stuff okay. of Legends? <gasps> well, I, I, keep in my, I keep in my very well-worn tracks here, my narrow <laughs> lanes. Yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us today um really appreciate it and hope to have you on and if not maybe i'll see you at some future lvo 2025 when it actually happens would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> well thank you robin and for anyone who's in the portland area mind taker miniatures is nearby and it sounds like a fun place www.mindtaker.org. You have a you have a website? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. An online business. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Go visit that. Yeah, I have. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs, and we'll see you next time. Bye.